This week on the podcast, we talk Alan Richardson's future at St Kilda, debate which has been the best coaching masterstroke of the year. Christian from Champion Data looks at the league's best rucks, and we discuss Buddy's latest injury and if his move to Sydney has paid off. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast for another week. My name is Matt Walsh, and I'm joined, as always, in the ESPN studios by Jake Michaels. Jake, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm not too bad. Uh, we're done with the bye weeks now, so nine games of footy this weekend. Are you ready to get back into it? I love it. I love it. I know the players and everyone needs a bye, but I tell you what, I just love when we're back to nine games. It's just not enough. Six, six games Something about for me. the Sunday having to wait till the twilight game, the 3.20 start to, to watch some footy on a Sunday. You just want to sit on the couch, uh, relax, enjoy. I know what you mean. Uh, Neil Seawang, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How did you Carlton supporters go without having to watch your mob on the weekend? Was it a stress-free weekend? <laughs> no felt- tears this weekend. <laughs> Just felt like September. <laughs> That's the voice of uh, Christian Jolly from Champion Data. How are you other than that? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get straight stuck straight into it. It's time for three on three. Um, I've got to say I'm a little bit surprised by uh, the backlash to St Kilda's loss to Brisbane on the weekend, Neil. Uh, Alan Richardson's well and truly under the blowtorch this week. Um, I think because a couple of coaches have already fallen in, in the dominoes. Um, but honestly, for what the loss was to the Lions, and it was a pretty bad loss. It, it was, was a shocking one, loss. It was one quarter that did, undid him. Are we are we overreacting to Alan Richardson? Is his job really under pressure at this point of the year, Neil? Well, it sounds like he's, he is under some sort of pressure or mounting pressure, but it seems like a massive overreaction. There's, the Saints are 6-7. and seven. They're one game out of the eight. They, they've had a huge amount of injuries this season, which has not really been talked about too much. And considering pre-season expectations of where you think the Saints might have been, I think that he's probably done better than what we all imagined. And then suddenly he's seems like he's you know in the crosshairs for another coaching departure. It seems crazy to me. They won four games last year, Jake. I mean, they've already won six. Yeah, no, they have. I, look, I think, and I, I've spoken about this with you guys earlier in the day, but I think what happened is all St Kilda fans and all St Kilda people came into the season, you know, probably not expecting Alan Richardson to coach out the year. They had a really poor year last year, and it was like, well, we'll probably get to the buy rounds, be 8-3, and 9-2, and two or something like that. 2-2, uh, no, the other way around. Flip it around, yeah. Oh, and that'd be, fine. <laughs> that'd be all right. <laughs> and, um, and, he'll be, and he'll probably be gone. Brett Ratton will step in as the caretaker and see it through to the end of the season. But all of a sudden, they had that great start, and they won four of their first five games. And it was like, hang on a minute this might be a completely different year. We may may now get to the finals that was promised a couple of years ago. Now, we sit here now and we probably think, okay, they're not going to play finals this year unless something remarkable happens. But now it's like they have that one bad game or that one One bad bad quarter quarter. and it's like now it all piles on again. It's like, okay, now we've got to get rid of him. And it's just like, hang on a minute. You you can't forget what happened in the first five rounds. Yeah. I'd argue it's been more than just one quarter. I mean, I know it was a a shocking lead up to the trip to Shanghai for him, sickness and all that, but that was a pretty bad game for them. They they were non competitive then, and they sort of got excuses for the travel and the sickness. sickness. Came back, had a week off, went to Townsville. They weren't impressive there either, just scraped over the line against Gold Coast, and then this week against Brisbane. So I see it as a little bit of body work, but I'm sort of with you. Have they shown their hand too early, sort of overachieved at the first half of the season? playing like we expected them to now, but it's just such a big drop-off from the first five rounds well, that it's actually well, worked the against them. Because you only remember recent form, and they're, and they're two and six in their last eight games. Um, and and this is the thing. If, if those wins had been spread out for the, throughout the season, we'd probably look at them and think, gee, they've, they've done pretty well. Alan Richardson probably gets another deal, another year. But because you look at the most recent two months, and it's like, it's been horrible, really. Mm. The only wins they've had against Gold Coast where they scraped over the line in that scrap 
They've only beaten bottom, bottom eight teams. Yeah. So I mean, it's. Well, not, I mean, they're beating the teams below them. I mean, they're beating the teams below them, but there's not many below them at the moment. No, there's not. But I think Richo has been a bit of a victim of. He's kind of been sold down the river. The unrealistically high expectations that St Kilda had at the start of the year. Simon Lethlin kind of said that finals is the goal. And I don't know about about you three, but looking at that list and the profile of uh, that club at that point at the start of the year, I I didn't have him in, in my top eight. No. I didn't have him close. I mean, was I, I think Richo's a victim. Of, of just being told that this is the expectation and this is where we're at and the gap between the two is, is too large to make up and he was always going to be gone at the end of the year. Well, some, it's all well and good to set the bar high, but you've got to be realistic and say, well, hang on a minute. Correct. Let's, look, let's look at this list. This is not a list that's going to be playing finals. It's not a top eight You knew Dan list. Hanabry wasn't going to make an appearance for the first couple of months of footy as well. You I mean, have no, no Robertson. Yeah, Carlisle. Uh, Steven's been out for... And, and I think they've known about his... Now you lose your, your captain as well. I yep. mean, it's it's... The injuries are one thing, and people say, "Oh, I don't use the injuries," but the reality is, injuries cost teams. Yep, you know, and that's that's just the nature of sport. How do you rate their year, Neil? I would give them a a C plus. Is that so enough far? to fire a coach? Or well, to- don't I, think so. I, I don't think I don't think that. I, I agree with Jake. I think there's probably some sections of within St Kilda and certainly the fan base that assumed that he wouldn't be there for next season, and this year was almost like a. We can't pay him out, so we're just going to see how he goes, and we're probably going to struggle, and then it's an easy way to depart. But he's probably performed above expectations slightly. But one one thing I'm I'm wondering about: there's a lot of pressure on Richardson and whether the Saints will cut him. Does Richardson should Richardson actually think to himself, maybe I should walk away before I'm pushed? Kind of like what Brad, Brad Scott, Scott did at, at North Melbourne, and then that sort of helps his his reputation is probably a little bit more solid if if he goes that way. I mean the. The writing's on the wall, isn't it, for him? Seems like it. I mean, there's the no way they're going to make The finals. thing that's tricky is that, well, there is a way. I mean, I mean, it, correct. They're not. They're not they're that not far out off. of it. They're, no, they're, I know. They're not but playing the, I, the way they're playing at the moment. They're not going to make finals. But no. again, there's ten weeks to turn around. There's plenty of the season left for them to turn around and get those. You what do they need? They t- need two wins basically to, you know, to sort of get, to get back into it. Yeah. yeah, and the thing but is, their draw on the second half is is tougher than it was the first. The first few weeks was they did have a soft draw season. But if he was to walk walk out and all of a sudden they did get they did get a few players back and all of a sudden Hanabry's playing well and Carl and then they do make finals or make a push for finals it's like that reflects really badly on him then so no I, I think he's got to stay and coach it out and then probably make a decision at the end of the year because Gee, unless they ha- unless they go through a real horror stretch, and as you say, they went they had the travel to Townsville in China, and and then they had the buy. So so it was a it was a crazy couple of weeks. I think the next few weeks, kind of like we said, what we said about Brendan Bolton uh, a month ago, probably the next few weeks is going to be really telling for the Saints. Just kind of crazy what one bad game can kind of do, and then how quickly the blowtorch comes back on. Well, as you, you say, it's one, mean, it was one bad quarter. Yeah, well, I mean, not, horrific quarter. It was just, terrible. I just, mean, sorry, very quickly. Sorry to interrupt, mate. No, do you think? The fact that um, Carlton and North have yes. moved on their coaches has intensified yes. the pressure on Richardson. Oh, I think so. I think yeah. well, if if you're in the market for a new coach, which I think St Kilda is, I think Simon Lethlean is keen to get another uh, person into the box. Um, then yeah, I mean, why wouldn't they move earlier rather than later? Because you know, Carlton from all in, from all indications is already in discussions with coaches. Yeah. Um, uh, North you can't, already you in can't discussions sit with, on your with hands. John Longmire. You've got to be proactive. Correct. So, so maybe now the Saints. I mean the. the Fingers on the trigger, I reckon, and they're going. Oh, geez, if we wait too much longer, the the top um, coaching prospects are going to be gone. So maybe, geez, maybe uh, St Kilda and Richo do have that conversation. Yeah, I reckon there'd be a few style. St Kilda fans that would just be hoping for another smashing. I, I, I get the feeling. Wow. Just Ooh, just okay. to sort of just White to sort of reset. Mm. To borrow a term from Robert, one more could do it.
Uh, we should move on, um, but we're going to stay on coaching, kind of. Uh, the whiteboards have kind of been very busy this year. A number of the magnets have been flying all over the place with players being moved from forward to back, uh, midfield to forward, all, all, all over the place, really. But there have been some really good masterstrokes throughout the year. Jake, do you have a favourite in particular? Well, I think there's a, there's only one. I know where you're going one, with this. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. <laughs> Gary Ablett. What a champion Your he man. is. Uh, about six weeks ago, I kind of spoke on here about how I was getting really frustrated with everyone writing him off. He is an absolute champion, and what he's doing this year is incredible. So he's gone from the midfield, obviously, to predominantly a forward. He spent 97% of the year playing as a as a permanent forward, really. He's, been, he's averaging two goals a game and 21 disposals, I think it was. Yep. There's only two players in the competition that are doing that. Gary Ablett and Michael Walters. Now, Michael Walters is in this discussion all of a sudden where he's, is he the best player in the competition? He's the best forward. Everyone's gone on that he's going to be a lock for the All-Australian team, yet nobody talks about Gary Ablett anymore. He is having a tremendous season. And I tell you what, he's probably one of two or three players in the competition that I just feel safe when the ball's in his hands. He's, an, he's such a good kick, isn't Great he? Great ball user. Yeah. And we were discussing uh, in the pre-podcast meeting how his kicking style is actually rather unique in AFL circles. There's, there aren't many players. The way he hunches down and yeah, gets the, his gets hands the ball, really close to his foot. Yeah, the, the ball drop's quite um, measured and... and, and Less margin for error. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Is, is there anyone else that comes close? I mean, well, I, think I think you mentioned said Trent Cochin has a similar... He looks similar. Slightly similar, similar when yeah. they kick the footy. Uh, similar Gary similar Ablett, style. There's no... There's no uh, coincidence that he's a good ball user and, and that ball the goal. first goal Geelong kicked um, against Port on the weekend Ablett kicked it where he, he sort of got the ball in the 50 45 degree running in towards goal and it was just like you don't even need a look you know most players okay they're, they're gonna that's a 50 50 for him it's like a 95 5 I reckon he just kicks it every day of the week what I mean talking about you I mean it's, a, it's it sounds silly to say what a champion because everyone respects him as a champion but how wonderful is it to see him extend his career by being able to be elite in another position because previously he looked pretty banged up a little bit slow as a midfielder and there was a little bit of a, a question mark on his long-term future as a midfielder and everyone thought oh maybe they can throw him forward and see how he goes but he's excelled at that it's been and I think there was a little bit of talk that he might have um, sort of pushed back on that last year I think they were looking to move him forward last year and he sort of wanted to keep playing midfield the whole fact that he's embraced the role as well, that you can move a champion out of his number one position and he still performs for you down there. Here's a question. You're Chris Scott. It's the grand final. Scores a level with 30 seconds to go. Is Gary Ablett playing in the middle or is he starting forward? Wow. That's a great hypothetical. That opens up a can of worms, but my, my starting forward would be Dangerfield, Ablett, Salwood, Kelly. No Ruckman. Yeah, no run Ruckman. the ball. No Why do you need to win the hit out? Win well, we'll discuss win Ruckman a bit later. Um, and yeah, this, that's interesting. That probably point. flows into the fact that are they actually that valuable? But I think wouldn't they that are, be the most? Yeah. Wouldn't that be the most stunning move to make? To say no Ruckman, we're just going to put our four champs in there and hope for the best. Oh boy, well that'd be a hell of a roll of the <laughs> dice. Um, Christian, do you have uh, a nomination for us? Um, yeah, so we've I think we spoke about this guy at this, uh, one of our first ever podcasts, Caleb Daniel. We sort of saw it in the JLT series, moving to half back. Yep. Um, He's been good down there, but I sort of found some stats that sort of, you know, it, it sort of shows that they're playing a little bit of Russian roulette with uh, Caleb Daniel across the halfback flank. So just for his position, general defender, he's elite for his disposals per game, kick rating, contest possessions, uncontested possessions, intercepts, and above average for tackles, so doing all facets of the game. Um, but the one thing you look at it with Daniel is how creative he is and probably how, how high risk he is with his ball movement. Sometimes mm. it comes off, sometimes it doesn't. 
So looking at his intercepts, when he wins the ball back from the opposition, the Bulldogs have scored 78 points going the other way. So that's third in the competition of any player. Phil Davis, number one. Jeremy McGovern, two. Caleb Daniel, three in that stat. That's great. Some great company. Uh, But then looking at the other way. So when he turns the ball over, the opposition has scored 105 points on the scoreboard. And that's 23 more than any other player in the competition. Dylan Shields, sort of the next most, with when he turns it over, the opposition scored 82 points. So what's that he whole... was well publicised as well as uh, as turning the footy over and, and costing the Bombers goals the other way, but no one really talks about Daniel. No, that's, that's, right. that's quite fascinating yeah. that you yeah. can find I that think, But I think when you watch Daniel, you see it. He, he can make some really dangerous and you know devastating mistakes, mm. but it's not probably from poor decision-making as much as he's really confident in, yeah. I can pull this off. And, and, and as can, you say, high risk, hit it. high reward. And, and he's got a licence to do so, obviously. And the dog style of play is, let's move it quickly off the, out of the back line and get it forward as quickly as we can. That's because, what I love about his role. As yeah. an AFL, as a, just a football supporter, we sort of talk about how coaches are so defensively minded. It's all about protection. Even when they've got the ball, they want to protect the scoreboard, protect the scoreboard. With Caleb Daniel, it's like, we know what you're good at. You go down the halfback flag and do it. We'll have to chew up, you know, 105 points the opposition might kick. But if you can create 78 points directly from intercepts, plus another sure. 10 or 5, you know, 5 or 10 inside 50s from down back, and, you know, he's creating play. So it's just it's just good to see Bulldogs sort of go, yeah, that Russian roulette. It's funny, I haven't seen it this year, but I'm, are you surprised that no one, no coach has really tried to lock down on him and play like that negative role on him to sort of... Maybe opposition coaches know that, that he turns you can the either turn into ball over. So, Pressure and, and with those stats, he, he costs more than he creates, so... Maybe that's... But the other thing about Daniel, which I, 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 I'm with you, Christian, I, I'd like to keep him in that role. Um, I think his pros outweigh his cons, but he's also only been in this position for, what, 12 games? Yeah. So mm-hmm. he, he should be better... In the second half of the year, should be better the next couple of years as well. So he, he might get even better in that Yeah, the scope that, for improvement, it's still there, you, yeah. you'd probably say, with, with Caleb Daniel. Neil, do you have a, a name for us? Yeah, I do. And uh, there's a couple that I've thought about. I've loved um, Levi Kasbolt's um, and uh, Darcy Moore's um, revolution as defenders this year. They've both, they've both been fantastic. But the name that I settled on was was Jack Zebel. Um, I think we discussed him after about round three or four in here, how... How he, poorly he was performing as a forward. Gave him a bake. We gave him, him. We gave him a massive, <laughs> I, I, massive. We bake. actually spoke about him in round five after round five because the very next week he was round six, and I think I texted on the WhatsApp sort of uh, <laughs> played the midfield forum that we got that. Yep, they listened to Jake and they put him in the midfield. So yeah, yeah, and and we I think we even discussed should you drop a captain or and because he was performing so badly. So I love the fact that he's now no longer the coach. But um, Brad Scott said, you know what, we we've given this four or five weeks. It's not working, and they've moved Zebel forward um, from round six. So, just a um, he was just a, a few stats that Christian supplied us with um, wonderfully, as he always does. Rounds one to five, uh, Zebel played ninety three percent forward, but then round six to thirteen, he was eighty four percent mid. And in that time, he's been second in inside fifties in the competition, third for tackles, five for pressure points. So he's really performing well as a midfielder. Um, and the other thing that we I can look at as well, it's obviously not a one person team, but Rounds one to five, when Zebel was playing forward, North were 18th for inside 50 differential, and when Zebel moved into the guts, they've suddenly turned that around to become the first in the league. So he's making an impact, and I love the fact that the North coaches were able to swallow their pride and say, "We've got mm. this wrong. We're moving him back in." It can't be a coincidence. I mean, that's got to be on the back of, "Hey boys, come with me. I'm the leader of this team. Uh, I'm going to show you how it's done in the middle. I'm going to put my head over the footy, and, and we're going to we're going to push it forward." Yep. Yourself, um, Matt? Uh, well, I think you kind of mentioned him, but Levi Casbolt down back for the Blues. And Darcy surprise, Moore. Surprise. <laughs> no, no, no. And, and, and Darcy Moore as well. But uh, I'm kind of hesitant to nominate those two because it would seem as an outsider uh, who's never played anything more than Cots footy uh, when <laughs> I was 17 that moving 
from a forward uh, as from being a forward to moving into defence would probably be easier than making the move the other way. It's very, um, very high success rate. See, see ball, get ball, see ball, punch ball, that kind of thing. Um, but, I mean, you, you look at someone like Kasbolt's um, marking prowess uh, in the forward line, he can clunk him where, wherever he wants. And, yep. the, and the fact that he can sort of just line up the ball, he doesn't have to make the lead, he doesn't have to sort of do all that forward structure work. It's clearly working for him where it's just like he just needs to get in the, the best position to make the the biggest impact uh, as a defender on, and on the ball. And I think that's working really well for him. And uh, Darcy Moore, I mean, but his ball use as well for a, for a big guy is, is pretty good and he's got a, a pretty decent kick on him and, and it works well out of defence for Collingwood. Just uh, one other name I want to throw out there. Just for the fact that this guy's almost made a career out of changing position. So Sean Atlee I had a quick look at. 2016, he played 99% of his time in defence. 2017, it was 35% in defence, 44% forward, 21% wing. <laughs> 2018, 91% forward. <laughs> 2019, 89% back in defence, and he's averaging career highs in ranking points, disposals, uncontested That's possessions. Unreal. That's unbelievable. It's just that if you yeah. want to... Try, I know utility. he probably hasn't been the best one and the most noticeable one, but this guy is basically... Whether he's a Mr. Fix-It for North, but he's made a career of, all right, time to rotate you into the midfield now, now to rotate you forward. No wonder nobody ever really talks about him because he can't get settled in a position. Can't lock and, down a spot. Yeah. And, and he's and, a little bit yeah. maligned amongst the North supporters that I know, and it probably doesn't help his cause, the fact that he's getting thrown a new challenge every year. How's that? 91% forward last year and then 90% in defence this year. Mm. That's a, a remarkable swing. Yep. Genuine utility kind of areas. <laughs> from <there>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, from, uh, from looking at, uh, the coaching whiteboard. We're going to look at Lance Franklin now, who's going to be off the whiteboard for a bit. Um, sorry, that was a really bad segue, but I'm going to run with it anyway. Uh, he's going to be uh, out for a few more weeks, uh, we think, because he's pinged his hamstring again. Uh, this comes a couple of weeks after he was out with another hamstring injury. 32 years old, uh, the soft tissues are starting to become an issue for, for Lance. And Neil, is it fair to say that he might not get back to his best? Well, I think that's With fair three to years say. Left on his deal. I think that's fair to say for him, and probably most, uh, unless we're talking about <laughs> Gary Ablett, as we did a couple of minutes ago. Most most thirty two year olds start declining, so I don't think there's any shame in not being the best player that you not not being the type of player that you were in your mid twenties or late twenties. So I think that's that's fair enough. I think I think Buddy Buddy can still perform well when he's on the field, as we've seen. Yep. But yeah, if these soft tissue injuries keep on coming, then yeah, we've certainly seen the best of him, and there's no disgrace in that. We, we also know that he wasn't training too much in the preseason as well. Mm. I mean, there were some famous articles written about how he'd do five minutes worth of work and, and then he'd be done for the day. And uh, like I said before, he's, he's still got a few more years to run on the deal that um, he signed with Sydney when he signed uh, all those years ago. Has the move been worth it, Jake? Has it paid off for the Swans for the money that they um, that outlaid on, on Buddy? Well, everyone will look at the flags and they obviously haven't won one since he joined the team, but... I think sometimes you've just got to look a bit broader than that and say, okay, we haven't won a we haven't won a grand final, we haven't won a premiership, but what he's done for that club is enormous. It it, it really is. He's been a superstar player, and I actually don't know wh- whether he's been a better player at Hawthorne or at Sydney. It's really yeah, difficult. It's a tough one. Yep. It's a good debate. Um, you could you could argue either way there, but he's been enormous for for Sydney. Um, I think he's won two Coleman since joining. He won, um, he won three at Hawthorne, so he's he's almost squared the ledger. Almost squared the ledger. But just what he's done for just the exposure of that club and, and building the fan base again, I mean, it's just incredible. So, yeah, I was um, actually looked that up. So Sydney have broken their membership uh, record in three consecutive seasons now, and that's going back on to April 1st numbers. So at the start of the season um, in 2017, I think they reached 50,000 members for the first time. It got up to about 54,000 last year. 
This year they were at about 58,000, and the article that I sort of read from April was saying they were targeting 60,000, which I'm sure they've reached by now. So, yeah, bringing members, memberships to the club. The other one I look at is it's it's almost what you could call the Tony Lockett effect. Yes, he's there now, but when he retires as a Sydney player, that's another 10 or 15 years of off-field marketing that you get from Lance Franklin. You still get to run Lance Franklin highlights with a Sydney jumper on. So it's that it's it's the the deal has still got a long way to run. I think from after his playing career, you still get value out of him. I think I'm the only one in this seat. I think they the Swans need to win a flag for his trade or his signing to be considered a success. I think you the fact that there's been such a massive outlay in terms of contract length and size. I think that they just need to win a flag. They've been contenders all the way through, and and it's cost them players on the trade table. The the AFL. Um, also brought in the trade ban as a direct result of the Franklin signing, so it was actually stopped them chasing other other players. And when you play off in a grand final, that could be the difference between winning one and losing one. So I think I think this it hasn't been a disaster, but I think to be considered a, a success, they need to win a flag. So you think that there were some players that were squeezed out because of the the cap space that Buddy took up? Yeah, I mean I think um, it's it's been well documented that um, Shane Munford left because while he was in the prime of his career. And the Swans' lack of um, genuine ruckman through that period might have might have really hurt them. And then there's debate about whether Tom Mitchell left for more money or more opportunity. But the fact that they didn't have the money to to offer him what or match what Hawthorne did that cost them uh, a Brownlow medalist as well. But just looking at what he's done, it's like I, I don't think. And you can say now this year he's been injured and has struggled to get on the park. But I, what more could he have done? No, he's he, fulfilled he's, his end of the bargain. He's, yeah. So that's what I mean. It's like so. So I don't see why they have to win a flag. For, to justify signing him because I, he's done he's been as good a player as he was at Hawthorne and at that point he was probably the best player or top two in the comp and he's he's been able to do that for six years at Hawthorne at Sydney so I don't understand why it's like well they have to win a flag it's like well he's done everything he can I think rightly or wrongly Jake AFL clubs and players are judged on did you win a flag I think that's the only way people are judged in this world, rightly wrong. or wrongly. Well, I think it's just the way it is. I think the the fact that he that he hasn't won a flag with him means that they've outlaid a lot for you know pretty minimal on field return. Well, you say he you've, they outlaid a lot, but if you look at uh, if you look at it now in terms of what he's been paid, if it's roughly a million dollars a year, that's it's really you know neither here nor there. It's it's nothing. Um, Earth-shattering as it was back then. I mean, oh, you, if it was now, it'd be double. Yeah, he'd probably be on one point eight if he was twenty-six and moving clubs. I mean, so you can kind of like the, the outlay at the time was a lot, and it might have pushed a couple of players out. But you get a lot of value in those those back end of the of the deals as well. So, but so, he's got three more years to go on a million plus. That's so, true. and he may retire at, at you know at the end of next year hypothetically, or he might not get on the park. So that a million plus is still a lot in the salary cap of twelve million. So. Yeah. I'm 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 saying that the Swans might have had their time again. I think I wrote it uh, in Heroes and Villains the Heroes and Villains column this week that it's just the saddest part of it is we're just being robbed of opportunities yeah. to watch him in the in the the twilight of his career. How about stat with champion data? Hey, uh, last week it was wingers that we took a, a close look at, and this week uh, Christian has delved deep into the champion data servers to take a look at Ruckman and the influence that big men are once again having on the game in 2019. It's fair to say we've seen two standouts this season. Yep. So that's what got me looking into it is basically the question came was, Gorn and Grundy, are they the two best Ruckman? Sort of, are they so far ahead of the third best Ruckman? You know, that it's it's not funny. Um, and <laughs> is it so, funny? Well, they, <laughs> are, funny they, 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 are, quite, they are quite far ahead. So we've sort of tried to compare that to two previous Ruckmans of past years. Sort of found the 2009 season where Dean Cox and Aaron Sandilands were two 
clearly the two best ruckmen in the competition. I think Darren Jolly and Hamish, Mac- Hamish McIntosh were third and fourth, you know, a fair way down. Uh, so sort of looking at ranking points, which um, is something we've... Uh, a single-player measure that we've introduced back in '99. So we've used rating points in previous years. They don't go as far back as you know some of the some of the ranking points do. So ranking points are a good measure because it's sort of um, remained the same since '99 onwards. So Dean Cox was the number one ruckman in 2009, averaging 111.2 ranking points per game, and Sandylands was second at 101.4. Max Gorn this year's uh, leading ruckman, 131 ranking points per game, and. <laughs> Brody Grundy's at 129 ranking points per game if you round up. So those two are clearly ahead. And just looking at the third for ranking points, Rowan Marshall, um, who sort of flies under the radar a little bit, he's at 103 ranking points per game. So he's averaging more than Sandylands did in 09 when Sandylands was the second best rusher. So you're telling us that Rowan Marshall's a better player than Aaron Sandy? <laughs> no, not yet, but he's on track to be. Like That's what I said. That's I think impressive. Aaron Sandylands did it for is, six is or seven years. Ruckman's roles have changed to the point where they're now required almost to be a, a second, uh, well, a second, another midfielder in that centre square cohort. Yeah. I mean, you look at Gorn and Grundy and, and their influence um, once the ball has gone to ground. Maybe like Sandlands back in the day and Cox to a lesser extent. Cox was a, a great tap Ruckman, but um, the influence around the ground has become a, a big factor in determining well, Ruckman's. Just looking use. at the straight disposal numbers, it wasn't. It was surprising to me. I thought that Sandlands and uh, Cox would come back much lower, but Cox averaged uh, I think over twenty disposals per game in two thousand and nine, and Sandlands was at seventeen point four, which is up there with the eighteens and the twenties of Grundy and Gorn this year. Hmm. Uh, so I looked at um, just how well they win the win the hit out when they're in a ruck contest. So Cox, uh, as the number one ruckman in 2009, won a hit out 45% of ruck contest. Aris Sandylands was 49% of ruck contest. Gorn and Grundy are at... Gorn wins 60% of his ruck contest, and Grundy wins a hit out from 56%. So again, it's probably... Maybe they're... Again, you'd have to go deeper into look at this. Are, is, the, is there just less ruckman in the competition now that they're competing against? So they come up against more sort of secondary ruckman or younger ruckman like Tim English and things like that mm. compared to what Cox and Sandlands were coming back in 09. But just looking at that figure there, it is clearly the ruck work is... that These two are taking it to a new level. Um, so far ahead of the other two, you know, that's dominant. 60% of the time that Gorn goes and stands mm. in the ruck contest, he wins a hit out. So you know. That's crazy to think. I know that this is only one... The stats only tell us one thing, but it's crazy to think that Gorn and Grundy in this... In, in terms of these figures, are miles ahead of Cox and Sanderlands, who are... 20 points ahead. Yeah, tw- yeah, like a long way ahead in terms of judging their ruck craft through these these figures. Yeah, because if you look at just raw hit-out numbers, they're always going to go up because there's more stoppages in the yeah. game now than there was back that's then. Fair. So that's why this winning percentage is, is good for in terms of when you've got an opportunity to win it, how well do you win it? So you talk about raw hit-out numbers. Uh, one that I'd probably take a bit more of an interest in is actually the hit-outs to advantage, uh, ones that actually benefit your team. I mean, do we have any sort of stats on, on how those um, go? Yeah, so again, sort of bear with me here, but there's no. sort of two ways to measure who is the best hit-out-to-advantage player in the competition, and it's um, it's discussion in the office as well. So again, I sort of try to explain this to Neil pre-pod, and I think I might a have gone around about, but I'll try to uh, simplify it. So two, two ways to measure hit-out-to-advantage. So if Max Gorn's in 10 ruck contests in a game, and he wins a hit-out five times, and one of those goes to advantage... So if you look at the how often he was in a rut contest, one out of the 10 times he was in a rut contest, he got a hit-out to advantage. So that would be a 10% win rate. But one of his five hit-outs actually went to advantage. So that would give him a 20% hit-out to advantage rate. So there's two ways of measuring it. You start from the raw contest, just when I attend a contest, how often do I get a hit-out to advantage? And then the second number is when I actually do win the hit-out, 
how effective my, uh, are my hitouts? So right. Max Gorn from the first measure, he comes up on top. So 21% of the time he attends a ruck contest, he'll win the hitouts to advantage. So one in five contests. Uh, second for that is Dawson Simpson. Third, <laughs> Paddy Ryder at 18%. Bell Chambers, 17%. And Grundy at 16% at fifth. Looking at when they actually get their hands to the ball, uh, how you know if, how often that goes straight to a teammate. So Max Gorn's at 36%, which places him about seventh in the competition. So... 21% of ruck contests, he wins a hit out to advantage, but 30%, 37% of hit outs actually go straight to a teammate. So using the hit out to advantage rate, when you actually do win a hit out, how effective are they? Zach Clark comes up as number one this year. So he's had the 35 hit outs. Much maligned so Zach Clark. It's, it's a yeah. low number, 35 hit outs, but 46% have gone directly to, the, uh, directly to a teammate for Essendon. Just don't um, give him the ball around the ground. <laughs> yeah. The, the the interesting one is second and third and fourth on the list are uh, Jack Trengrove, Andrew Phillips, and Elliot Himmelberg at Adelaide, who are all sort of backup ruckmen. Hmm. So we'll skip them. But the the number one genuine ruckman is Tom Bellchambers. So 350 hitouts this year, 38% to advantage. So having Zach Clark and Bellchambers high up there, I'd have to give a little bit of credit to the Essendon midfielders. It seems like no matter who, you, you know, from those two guys, when you put them in the ruck and they get their hands to the ball, they've got a pretty good connection with their midfielders below their feet that they're actually getting it to advantage. So, so hold on. So you're saying that once uh, the Essendon Ruckman h- hits the ball down, the midfielders are the ones... Well, no, first no, no, no I'm not putting all the credit. I'm just saying to have two Essendon players up there, right. sort of, you've got to give a little bit of credit. That's that's good connection between Ruckman and midfielders. That No matter, you know, whether they put Clark or Bell Chambers in the hit out, yeah. they're going to get a hit. You know, if they if those guys get their hands to the ball, gotcha. over, you know, one third of hit outs are going straight to a teammate. So, so if, can we look the other way and... and uh, if you're a team with a ruckman that's probably not as good as, um, say, a Gorn or a Grundy, are there teams or players who are actually really good at working off the opposition's ruckman? Um, well, I've only looked at I've looked at the teams that have had their work off the ruckman, you know, sharked by the opposition. So I haven't looked at which team is doing the most sharking from a midfield point of view. Right. So they're just looking from the ruckman. But uh, interestingly, Richmond, who have probably since Nan Curvis's injury gone down, have had you know Callum Coleman, Jones, Noel Bolter, and Maybor Chol have all taken turns in the ruck. Um, and they're getting shark 23% of the time. So the other number on top of that is they're not winning the hit out much. I think they're down in the bottom three for actually hit out win rate. And then when they do hit it to sort of, the you other know, team's com- getting compound that, it's, yeah, it's going straight <laughs> to the opposition. So 23% of the time. Carlton second at 21%. And Geelong, interestingly, at 21%. So again, that is a hit out going straight to the opposition's possession. Whether they're getting clean disposal out of that or not, I don't know. But I think Geelong midfielders, again, would be able to protect a hit-out Sharks much better than some of the other midfields. So so we've discussed the hit-outs and hit-outs to an advantage a lot in, in, in the last couple of minutes, but obviously we all know that the evolving, um, I, I guess, job descript- description of a Ruckman isn't just to win the hit-out. They've got to be involved with, um, you know, possessions. They've got to be a link man around the ground, contested marks, um, clearances, tackles. So what do any stats stand out in terms of the, the Gorn versus Grundy debate? Yep, so again, I've yeah, picked about six or seven uh, different stats and just had a look through. So ranking points, which we just spoke about, uh, 131 and 129 for Gorn and Grundy. Marshall third at 103 and Goldstein fourth. Uh, so you look at disposals around the ground. Max Gorn, 20.8, number one. 18.8 for Grundy. Todd Goldstein's third on that at 16.3 and McAvoy at 15.9. Contested possessions, Grundy one, Gorn two. And Rowan Marshall's third in that. Pretty consistent top three. clearances is Gorn and Grundy top two, with Matthew Cruiser actually third in that, and that's uh, per game. So he's had a few um, uh, 
missed games through injury, but he's still averaging the 5.5 clearances cruiser. So you can see there exactly what you sort of said. It's almost a consistent top three of Marshall's in there a couple of times with Goldstein, mm-hmm. and then Cruiser comes in with the clearances. The one that Grundy and Gorn don't come up on top on, there's two. There's the hitouts, the raw hitouts. They're not even the, they haven't won the most hitouts of anyone. Jared Witts is actually averaging the most hitouts of anyone in the competition. But again, looking at Gorn and Grundy, who are at I think it was 60% and 56% winning percentage. Jared Witts only wins at 52% of the time, which is still a high number. But again, he's getting a lot more stoppages than Gorn and Grundy. So his hitouts are uh, number one in the comp. Score involvements is the one that gets me. So Tim English has actually been involved in six Bulldog scoring chains per game. That's number one of any Ruckman in the that's competition. In, that's incredible. Six is pretty high for a Ruckman. Yeah, he was getting smashed. Like. Yeah. You would not think that he would be the number one um, score involvement Ruckman in the comp at all. Yeah, so correct. And the, the thing is, so that's where the value of Tim English, you know, you sort of got to play him and he's still developing. He's getting smashed at the Ruck contest. So 29% of the time he wins a hit out from his Ruck contests, which is the sixth worst in the competition of anyone to attend. I think I've gone to 100 Ruck contests. Yep. Um, so he's, you know, not getting not getting the job done in the Ruck, but, you know, to be involved around the play. And he's, I think he's the number one uncontested possession winner of any Ruckman as well. So... Mm. Um, Gorn and Grundy, clearly one and two. Marshall and English, keep an eye on those two. Mm. So if you had to give the edge to one of those guys, who are we going with? Uh, Numbers say Gorn at the moment. He's pretty comfortably on, you know, just ahead of Grundy in most areas. There you go, folks. You've heard it here first. (laughs) Max Gorn is the premier ruckman in the competition. It's time to move on. I've had a gutful. Well, uh, it's a bit of a first this week because um, I haven't found anything that's really ticked me off in the world of football. No rant from Jake. No rant. So uh, instead, I'm going to swap with Matt and throw it open over to him because I feel like you've been bubbling away at something that's really annoyed you. Yeah, I have because, and I know why you didn't want to go hard on this topic because you're you're always looking at the odds and you're looking at you know betting on sports and poker and all, of course gamble responsibly, but. I cannot, for the life of me, understand the sympathy that is coming for Jaden Stevenson after his betting misdemeanor. This bloke placed three bets, um, allegedly. Oh, well, I mean, it's been confirmed now. But mm. placed three bets on AFL games, and not only AFL games, games involving his own team. I'm not sure how dim you need to be to do that, but it's got to be right up there. And those saying that he got off uh, too harshly mm-hmm. and was was not, you know, um, should have just been given a couple of weeks or a small fine or whatever. I don't think they understand the gravity of what uh, that sort of rabbit hole leads to. Uh, the fact that he's betting on f- allegedly himself to kick three goals, or he's betting on a teammate to get thirty possessions, it just it's there's a butterfly effect that that starts with I'm going to go over a one-two with this bloke to get his possession count up, uh, and it ends with Collingwood losing a game they should win. Mm-hmm. And I think that the simp- those that are um, displaying sympathy for Stevenson need to have a good hard look at themselves, uh, and if they want uh, a game full of integrity. They need to condemn this sort of stuff. And the 22-week suspension, which was downgraded to 10 um, because he self-reported, I think is it's almost too light, Neil. I think it's too light. Because at the end of the day, if you want to have a bet as a football player and there is a lot of disposable income, don't bet on your own sport. Don't bet on your own team. Bet on Hungarian baseball or <laughs> or, or handball in Switzerland or the, the third league A-League. Like, yeah. <laughs> but bet on anything but your own sport or your own team because that's just bizarre and, and stupid. Yeah, I've, I, I'm staggered that people think that, that the AFL has gone too hard on him. I mean, they get so... I'm talking about the AFL players. They are educated from the moment they're drafted, and there's some there's some aspects of their education 
uh, in terms of away from the field, which would might take a little bit of time or there might be some grey areas. But the easiest one to adhere to would be do not bet on football. And that's all that's all you need to remember. So I've got I've got very very little sympathy for him. I've got sympathy for him because he's a young man that's made a mistake. But I've got no sympathy for the the penalty that was handed out. I'm, I'm staggered that people think that he that it was harshly dealt with. I thought it was lenient. Yeah. I thought the AFL clearly just went great. There's about ten weeks left in the year. Um, we'll say it's a, a year ban, a 22 game ban, but we'll, we'll scale it back to ten, so he's back in time for finals. I actually yeah. that really rubbed me up the wrong way. I thought they had a chance to really stamp down on it quite hard because there's been precedent before. No, Players should I, I th- know. I think I think you're you're wrong there because look, I've been re- very critical of the AFL this year, um, and I wrote last week, and you're laughing because I went very hard, and, and there's been a lot that's gone wrong this year. But I think they handled this really quickly. And they made a big statement with it. That's a big... It, and I'm saying it's fair. He should... It was a really stupid thing to do. Um, and he's copped a really harsh penalty. Yeah, but I don't think... But where have they what, plucked what, 10 from out of 22? Well, that seems like a negotiated outcome. But I don't think it's unfair. I think I think the fact that it fits in with... Like, it's a long punishment. So that, that ticks a box yeah. that... To, he's not going to play again until finals. Exactly. And and obviously with the the 12 game suspended sentence that's that's that was a, a bit of a let off for the fact that he's self reported and it might encourage other players to It was the harshest penalty <laughs> ever for for this within the AFL. So I mean Good. Yeah. So don't so, bet on footy. so so what do you mean that should be it, it was lenient? What so, what should he have got 5 years like I'll put, I'll put my two cents with. We, we're bound to the same no gambling policy as the players. I don't know if it's the exact same as the players, but across champion data, any employee cannot bet on football. That includes a waffle backup spotter that just does under-18 Colts on a Sunday morning and just helps with the spotting. He can't go and put a $10 bet on who he thinks will win the grand final. Whether he's 17 or 30, it's instant instant dismissal. There's no 10 weeks come back and you can capture a, a final or you can help next year in the waffle. It's pretty black and white, and it is the most black and white area of our job is you do not bet on footy, whether you're involved in the game or not. And so, as I said, some of them aren't even involved in AFL. They're, they only work for us on the relevant state leagues like Neeful and Savile. They can't bet on an AFL game either. So you're saying if you've got a gambling addiction, then <laughs> champion data might be the place because you'll, you'll stop pretty quickly. <laughs> well, you'll have to, yeah. <laughs> so all right, here's, here's another hypothetical then. What if he uh, has... Uh, and we only bet small amounts, but this could open the door to players who are maybe struggling to get a game or they're just on the cusp of the side and someone comes to them and says, hey, you'll only get 10 weeks, but if you help alter the outcome of this game, we'll make millions of dollars and you'll get a cut of that. There's a, there's a mean, rabbit hole. There's there, just, it's, there yeah, is, I, but be, it's like... Beggar's belief what, what he, why he's done I this. Think, and I, I think, think 10 weeks is enough of a deterrent. I reckon they had the chance to sort of say, "Great, we we can suspend you for the final series as well." I wouldn't go so far as twenty two, but we could we could we could stretch it out to the final series, and that'd show you how seriously we take this sort of stuff. I I think I I think the the penalty's fair, uh, harsh and fair. If for let's say hypothetically he had bet on um, Saint Kilda to beat Collingwood, then that's huge an issue. red flag. That's different. That's yeah. way different to betting on his own team to win and him to kick a goal. That's different. I, I can see why you're saying that, and the, the belief is it's different. Again, looking at the policy, be, it's and not. It, it's, it, it it's, there's be, no difference. But, in but, but from the from a general public point of view, in terms of um, fairness and all that sort of stuff, I mean, that's a huge issue. If you got you've got players and teams potentially trying to lose games in order for financial gain. So if if that had happened, I wouldn't be, have been surprised if the penalty was much harsher. But I think look. 
he's what a twenty-year-old kid. He made a really stupid mistake. Betting thirty dollars is stupid. It's not like he was betting hundreds and thousands of dollars. Like it's he's just done something stupid. He knows it, you know. And he's got a he's got a penalty now, and he'd be Slap fool to do it again. <laughs> Good first rant. Thank you. Um, well done. <laughs> thank you very much. Hey, we are running out of time, but I will say one last thing on this, Jaden, mate. Third league Hungarian handball. That's where the future is, mate. Don't worry about the AFL. You don't worry any, about you got Collingwood. Any hot tips? No, I don't. <laughs> Let's move on. And the three votes goes to. Um, so I've I've had the rant. So I've decided to give the old one-two back to Jake Michaels. Not that I've got money on him to get most possessions or anything like that, uh, but he's going to deliver the three votes today. Well, I'm scrambling a bit because you just threw me <laughs> under the bus at the last minute. Um, no, look, I have to give it to Charlie Cameron. What a super game he played um, on the weekend against St Kilda. And we, we smashed St Kilda a bit earlier, but... I, I was well, really... he was the catalyst. Well, he was. He was terrific. And um, I don't want to stand here again and say, oh, is he in the discussion for best small forward or whatever it is. But, he had to be. But, we did discuss that. But, I mean, he has been terrific all year. And he's really leading that forward line for Brisbane who are charging towards finals. And beyond Cameron, I, I just look at Brisbane... Um, as a football side, and they were humiliated the last time they, they came to Melbourne and played at Marvel Stadium and they lost to Carlton. What was their last start? It wasn't even... Because they had the buy in between. They had the buy, yeah. Um, so they went back, stewed on it over the, the, the 12 days or whatever they had off, 13 days, and then they've come back, uh, come back down and absolutely thrashed St Kilda. So that was the kind of response you wanted to see for a team that was probably before that game... 50-50, maybe 55-45 in terms of would they play finals or not. And I think now that now I think everyone's starting to think, okay, yeah, this team's probably going to play finals. Cameron's been a, a really great pickup for them. They, um, they they gave up pick 12 to the Crows a couple of years ago, and I think a lot of people assumed or suggested that that was paying well overs for a, a guy that feels a niche position and um, hadn't really set the world on fire. But but that's that's really paid off. That, that's been fantastic. And he's, he's been really huge for them. Well, I mean, injury... Uh, hampered last year, but mm. but this year he's already kicked uh, 26 goals, which is only three goals off his best ever return for a season, uh, and that's including 2017, where there were as a final series. So I think in terms of what uh, the Lions gave up, he's paying them back uh, pretty comfortably in spades at the moment. Yeah, they've done brilliant. The last uh, two or three years with their recruiting, they've traded really, well, really strong. They? Yeah, recruiting uh, and trading. Yeah, um, you can tip on footytips.com.au against uh, co-workers, friends, relatives. Uh, I know that I've had another terrible week because <laughs> I forgot the Thursday night game again. That's uh, just your again. excuse every week. No, I'm a shocker. I turned off notifications on my phone. So did you watch the game? Pro tip at home. Yeah, I did. That's just not good enough. No, it's not good enough. I, I look. Kick him it, out of the. Kick him out of the group. <laughs> there's, a, there's a point where it goes halfway through the first quarter, and I go, "Oh no, <laughs> I haven't tipped on the game." You know, and then I look at who the away team is, and of course, it's the one travelling. And yeah. uh, from there, you're never the going to go too well. But Neil, uh, you've uh, had a look towards this week's action and, and found out which way the tipsters are leaning. Yeah, I have. Um, just just going back to your point about missing the tip um, on the Thursday night. Um, 92% of um, people tip um, remember the tip, so 8% of people actually are in your boat. Okay, I'm not uh, alone. Compared to about 99% of, of, of the other weekend's games. So put on your, your push notifications on footy tips and, and you'll get a little reminder before the game. So Good little pro you tip. If you're, if you're near the uh, lead of your competition, do not miss your tips. Um, last round um, was a, pr- a pretty tough round. There's a, f- a few upsets, um, only an average of 3.8 across the six games. Um but this round coming out, round 15, actually looks pretty lopsided. Of the nine games, we're back to nine games, which is good for footy fans. The the closest, um, I guess, percentages in terms of um, early tips is the Essendon-GWS game, which is 12% for Essendon and 88% for 
for GWS and the, the other games are more lopsided than that. So it looks like it's around where that's things the closest to plan. game. That is the closest, yeah, so far. So twelve percent for the Bombers, um, and and that's as that's as close as, as this weekend is going to get. Uh, quickly, we'll go around the room very very quickly. One word answers: uh, certainty in an upset. Uh, certainty. Where well, you could throw a blanket over all of them, I think. Um, I'll go West Coast. I think West Coast is going to do a number on Hawthorne at the MCG, and uh, Melbourne will be a big chance to beat Brisbane. Uh, Geelong, uh, the certainty, seven and seven out of seven two weeks after the bye, so yep. we'll go with that stat. stat that people don't talk about. <laughs> um, the upset for me, North Melbourne to beat Collingwood. Just looking at the inside 50 counts, we sort of said North Melbourne number one differential. Collingwood have conceded the most in the last three weeks, so it's going to give North Melbourne a chance. Uh, my outsider, what we just spoke about them, would be Essendon to be some chance against GWS just because it's at Marvel and that fast track suits them. Uh, and the lock would be the Swans against Gold Coast. I think Gold Coast are, are pretty much looking forward to the off-season already. Remember and... last year? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, so that's where, I, that's where I reckon it might be. Yeah, I think North can probably challenge the Pies. I think that's also at Marvel Stadium. So uh, they had a pretty poor start there uh, last week, uh, Collingwood. So maybe North can give them a run for their money. Uh, my certainty, I mean, look, you could pick any of them, but maybe the Dockers uh, over the Blues oh. in Perth is probably a good one. Well, that is all we have time for. Uh, Don't forget to rate and subscribe, uh, but we will speak to you guys in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.